Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in body work, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. Today's conversation is with Russell Stolzoff. Russell is a practitioner, researcher, and member of the Dr. Ida Rolf Institute's advanced faculty. He's been a practitioner for the past 31 years, has served on numerous boards and committees for the Institute. His research at Western Washington University examined the effects of structural integration on soccer athletes and was presented at the International Fascia Research Congress in 2018 and 2015. In 2011, Russell formed Stolzoff Sportworks to bring the benefits of rolfing structural integration to professional athletes. We'll talk about Russell's history of getting into rolfing, the rolfing education process, how psychology fits in, working with professional athletes, and why to go further into advanced certification. And there's more as well. We had some technical difficulties at some points, which you may hear, but we managed to get through it okay. I always enjoy talking with Russell, as he is someone who clearly thinks about not just what to say, but also how to listen and respond in a way to meet the person where they're at. So with that, let's begin our talk. How are you today, Russell? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. 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 So if it's if it's cool, why don't we why don't we um, start? I guess a little by your history about what what brought you to to rolfing and body work, and sure. then we'll we'll move along from there. Sure. Yeah. So what what how did I get into rolf? How did I find rolfing? Yeah. Why not? Okay. Sure. Um, well, I think it was by accident and maybe by good luck at the same time. Um, I was a student at, at CU University of Colorado. Uh, studying sociology and economics and English. And I really had no, no, it was at a time where education was still affordable enough to where you could actually go to college and not know what you were going to do afterwards or not have any idea. And and that sort of fit me and, and that, and, and I struggled in college just to kind of find, find my way. And, um, but I was doing it. And then uh, part of what helped me was that I actually got, I was having some difficulties uh, emotionally and I, I, I got into therapy um, about halfway through, found a really good uh, psychologist and worked with her uh, at the university uh, weekly. And, and I started to understand myself, I think as a young adult and some of the some of the tough experiences that I had growing up. Um, I lost my father at a young age. And, uh, and that, I think that had a, you know, a, a real big impact on me. And, um, and so, and then I had also been, um, all my focus had been kind of into athletics. And when I went to CU, I, I, I took a hiatus from 
competitive sports and and I didn't know if I was going to go back to it or not. And I think that, so my identity was kind of wrapped up in being athletic. And then I was away from home. And then all of a sudden, you know, my world just kind of fell apart. And I couldn't concentrate and didn't know what I wanted to do. And so all of that is to say that um, I was starting to get things back on track. And, it, 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 you know, one of my... Uh, my housemates, I was living in a basement apartment and one of my housemates was training at the Rolf Institute and she, um, and she was European and she also had people from Europe who were coming to the Rolf Institute that were, um, that would stay with her. And so I would encounter Rolfing, Rolfers who came, came to town. And, uh, and so at one point they said, Oh, you know, you should come in the, we need people to get rolled and and you should come and I, I had no idea what it was uh, but i had a friend in california who had mentioned it to me and I, so i kind of heard of her i may i don't know if i remember if i if i knew about it but i said to her hey you know my crazy neighbor wants me to go do this thing called rolfing you want to come you know she's like oh that would be amazing for you you know you remember that time we were walking on the beach and i watched how you were walking and I said that with the way your legs move I don't know how you go forward and, and I said yeah I remember I've been self-conscious about that ever since and she said that'll be great and uh so that that was kind of the encouragement that I got to try rolfing I'd never even had a massage um before and uh this was in 1983 and I was 22 years old and uh and so I went to be a model in this class. It was back at the old Institute in the skylight room. And they had a small little room. They had eight people in a class. And, that was the uh, one at the end of Canyon, right? Going up right. the mountains? Yeah. No, that? not at the end. It was the one at Third and Pearl. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was before the one in Canyon. So it was the original place where, you know, the Rolf Institute settled in in Boulder and um and it was pretty weird and uh but it was cool and um and uh and I and I mean it was just I think if I if that hadn't have ha it changed the course of my my life um and uh and it gave me uh for the first time something that I could begin to think, have an interest in doing. And, um, and of course it wasn't right away because I was still finishing college, but it was, I mean, the experience was so profound and it was profound on, on multiple levels. It was psych, I would say it was psycho-emotional um, as well as, as physical and, and the way that those things came together because it made me understand my experiences in psychotherapy. I remember it made me reflect that I would feel things in my body, but it wasn't a body focused therapy. So I could feel my body responding to the therapy, but it was subtle. And then when I got raw, it, 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 um, it freed me up physically. And that kind of dovetailed with the, with the emotional 
uh, changes that I've been experiencing. So, so that I think, you know, that made a very profound impact and I finished college and I went and lived in Europe for a year and, um, there wasn't very much to, that you could find about, you know, there was Dr. Rolf's book and that was about it. And I got my hands on some other kind of somatic literature, whatever I could find, I started reading about. And then when I came back from Europe, I passed through Boulder and had an interview, you know, found out what was involved in, in getting, being able to apply and so forth and so on. Then I went off and studied, you know, at that time they, they didn't have a phase one program. And so they were just beginning this thing they called comprehensive studies, which was a way to do, to learn the things that they teach in phase one. It was a pre precursor to, to phase one or foundations of somatic practice. It's been called different things. Um, and, but the way most people prepared to go to the Rolf Institute was they took uh, courses at colleges and universities. That's what I did. I went and did a year of college anatomy, physiology, neuroanatomy, physiology, kinesiology, and I went to massage school. And then, so it took me about a, you know, a, a, a little over a year to prepare. And, um, and I applied. So, you know, it kind of, it stuck with me. So I think I didn't end up going to my first auditing until 1987. So I got Rolfed in 83. And, uh, and then, and I remember going to my, you know, back then we had an interview. It was a two day, you, you, you'd write this big paper and then you, you make the application, you'd write a big paper. The paper had to be accepted. Once that was accepted, then you get a two day interview. And the two day interview had a committee. Part of it was a group interview where they kind of observed you. And the second part was this individual interview where you'd go before what they called the selection committee. And there were like eight people and you, you know, and you, and, uh, I remember going to that and of course being, everybody was really nervous. And, um, and I remember meeting people that had been rejected and, or told, you know, the old stories, they tell people, you have to go off and do this or do that, or you come back, you're not ready yet. Um, so I didn't know those stories then, but, but I met people that had wanted to be rolfers and told, no, you're not ready yet for whatever reason, right or wrong. Um, you know, and, and they, and they came back like eight years later, like they still wanted to be a Rolf for eight years later. Eight years later. Yeah. There was like one, one person that I met, I've stuck, I've never forgotten it. So dedication. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of what drove me into it. And, uh, and that's someone you better you you really if they have that much dedication you better let them in otherwise you know your building is burning down <laughs> yeah i guess i mean it, it, she got in at that point you know so eight years later so whatever was lacking <laughs> previously wasn't then so yeah so did you get in on the first try yeah, i did yeah yeah I was, I, my interview was really easy. I, I was super surprised. Like they didn't, they, they didn't really have any, they didn't throw any curveballs at me or anything. You know, it was like, 
it was, ba- I, th- I think I was basically in, but the one thing I remember, the one thing they asked me was, uh, you know, it, once you're a rolfer, what do you plan to do? And, you know, how, how do you see yourself? What do you see yourself doing after you become a rolfer? I said, well, I see myself starting a practice somewhere. They said, well, we see you've traveled around a lot. You know, you've been, you know, do you plan to like stay in one place? Or I said, well, yeah, I, I plan to set up, set up shop, you know? And, and the feedback was that we think you need to do that. You know, like don't, you're going to need to, to direct, to sink into it, you know, not don't, don't continue just <laughs> moving around like you have been. So, um, I think that was good advice. That, um, I'm not sure how much you know, Russell, but I mean, that's essentially what I've been doing for the last 10 years is, is moving all around. And I've been in the process of trying to find a place to settle down. And I, I know from my, from, from me, from my rolfing practice, being in one place and just settling down and working is the most ideal. Um, and so your words are hitting me very like at a, at a place of, uh, of you know, deep. Good. Well, that, yeah, I, I just don't, you know, I think it's the kind of practice where you have to have a lot of repetition to be able to understand what it can do and to come up against the challenges that, that you will come up against when you work with people because people are different, they're different ages, they're different, you know, different types of inhabiting of their physicality and their and it just seems to me like in order to 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 really become proficient you need to have a lot of repetition and 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 I think that the brilliance of the way that we teach rolfing in terms of teaching it in a form that people can be introduced to and then go practice gives a structure to being able to notice you know how people are similar and different and over time and then what happens as you go through those steps with people how their bodies change um and and therefore what you can what you can expect from the work we do and how you can communicate that to people so that such that after a while you kind of know what you don't know exactly what's going to happen but you know sort of what's going to happen when you work with someone but in the beginning you really don't um so and i think just a little editing note we had a little technical difficulty which i shaved out to save you minutes of hearing us trying to figure out how to talk to each other and now let's get back to the talk deep freeze on your end yeah we may have just lost oh there you go there we go there we go you just want to give me you want to give me extra editing work i appreciate it Uh, uh, where did i stop where did i where did my recording stop we don't know no, you are because I, I was I was agreeing with you a great deal. You were talking about how with the training, how it's beneficial to have that time to 
like how it was in the past and not so much how it is now, have that time to be able to mentor and work with people and really get to understand the different types of bodies, where they're coming from, mental backgrounds, physical backgrounds, and how that experience really prepares you for practice. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I feel, I mean, from my little bit of experience, and I'm sure you can speak greatly to this, um, being able to compare when I went through my training, I had that opportunity to do an internship and just kind of get my feet wet a little bit in the kind of real world experience and then go back to the Institute and have support in the phase three for the clinical work. I was able to enter it with, with a little bit of confidence, but then also from the mentorship have real life questions and be able to bring that into the classroom and work with that. And, um, so right. I can see from, you know, from teaching in the phase one and then assisting in the phase two, didn't ever assist in a phase three, but with the, the nervousness that the students had after finishing phase two and be like, Oh my gosh, I have to turn around and then start working on people. You know, I think that some, some of the people got to enter in that with a little less nervous because they have a massage background or some body work background, but for the people who really had no touch experience, I felt it was unfortunate because they, they went in with a lot of extra nervousness that if they could just have sat back and been able to take one or two people through a 10 series. Right. You mean like in a mentorship? Yeah. in a mentorship. Yeah. Well, the training, no matter how you slice it, even if you take, I feel like even if you had a year, you know, the problem is, is that in the, in the break, you're not, you know, we always had this thing in the faculty where it's like, oh no, we need this. People need this time. They're integrating, you know, it's like in today's educational world, and especially when there's student loans involved, they don't understand integration. <laughs> you know, they don't know, you know, what that means. And, 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 you know, and we're pretty hard put to say what we know, you know, in concrete terms that we know what it means either. We just have been doing it this way. And so, so that's, things are a little bit different now. And I, you know, and I think reflecting back on my own experience, there were people, it wasn't advised at that time either that you go from your auditing to your practicing right away. And there were people, but part of the reason was, is that, uh, in the, in the practicing phase, which is kind of like the phase three, back then we were also rolfing each other. So we were rolfing each other and then rolfing our outside of class clients at the same time. And in the auditing phase, we weren't doing any hands-on work to speak of. So, um, so I think it was a little overwhelming for for students uh, to be doing that. Uh, it's hard to say what causes what, but um, I think the point I'm trying to make is that no matter how you slice it, the training is really short. And uh, even if you put time in between the phases, the idea of like, you know, you've had roughly uh, what, six months of education, 
Um, and then you're going to go out and start a practice and you're going to be holding yourself out there as a person who knows enough of what they're doing to be able to help someone in the, in the way that, 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 um, delivers what the claims are. Well, I and I, th I think, I think it's really, I think it's scary. You know, it's just scary for most people. Well, I think this suggestion came out from the early days, maybe even something Ida Rolf said, I don't know the exact quote, but it was something that I feel like was reiterated constantly in my training is yes, you'll be certified, but the real, the real training starts when you build your practice in the next five years is when you're really, you're really learning. You got, yeah. the, you got the tools, you're able to kind of tread the water safely, but Right. It's amazing to me that with that short education that you can come out with tools that you really can help people and that you do help people. I think that that's amazing, you know, and so I always try to encourage students in my classes at that phase, end of phase three period or even in phase two, you know, like you're going to be ready to go do this and you're going to be able to help people. It's going to, you know, um, you're not going to, and you can't ever be further along than where you are. <laughs> so, you know, so that's, but, you know, you have to have, ideally you have to, you come out of that, that basic level of training experience with enough confidence to begin. And then of course, like you're saying, you learn, you learn as you go and experience teaches you. And I think I mean, that's, that's I'm a, I'm a bit of a devil's advocate kind of guy. So I always listen and then have this sort of sense. And I, I mean, I think, cool. of, I think of like, okay, yoga training, a basic yoga training, you have 200 hours of yoga training of which maybe you have, maybe, maybe if you're lucky, 20 hours of very, very basic anatomy and you're thrown out into the world to, to help people. Right. Um, massage based in, in some States are is 500 hours, which is still less than the Rolf Institute. And on the other side, you have like, if you're a, an osteopath, you have uh, three and a half, well, three to five years based on where you're studying in, 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 in the respective country. So right. Big, big, big differences. Um, right. In that. Uh, my mind goes there more because I've been on some threads with yoga teachers trying to help people and being, and I'm being like, you've got 200 hours of, if, of training and, and, very well you may have gotten more in that one hour of training than someone will get in 20 hours of training you know it's hard to compare an hour to an hour in in topics but like so much of the of of what people have um is a bit well is is it is it is it enough is it ever enough um and i agree with you a lot that there isn't the the, the basic training in some ways maybe yeah it's a great it's a great way to get it's a great way to get like you said enough to here do this and you're going to need more later on but for now like start start and you're going to actually learn so much on the on that path right yeah i, I agree <clears throat> i mean there's always you know some people can spend you know five years learning something and not be able to work very well with it you know at the end so it's not i'm not trying to say i'm not trying to say that uh number of hours or years spent is the only factor in 
you know how you how you learn no i don't think you are i kind of i kind of want to put some parallels out there but i couldn't really tie them back together no i think you i think you did i think i think you did well i have a question in terms of what you shared in your experience when you first got started or when you mentioning so i was kind of holding on to the thought that during college you experienced um going to see a psychologist Mm -hmm. and how that might have influenced how you perceived or received your rolfing um experience when you volunteered as being a client because after i got certified you know i know it kind of says around in the in the training you kind of track the people that are gonna maybe put you to your edges or what you might need to work on and so soon when i was fresh out of school starting my practice i was like oh my god i need to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist because the clients are kind of they're triggering me and i was like i know enough about therapeutic framework that i need to make sure my stuff is checked so i'm curious in the training if if we could if something could be reintroduced into the training that isn't already there and for you having so many years of teaching what kind of class do you think could be there to help support the the development of the i don't know how to best say it is to meet the the psychological needs of a being ready enough as the practitioner and then be able to handle it what comes our way in practice because I think the way the phase two is when when the clients or the students are receiving the work there is that like great embodiment everybody's a little chaotic so I could definitely see how that could be very disorienting as receiving it and then doing it to outside clients so that kind of blend of the phase two phase three but yeah I just I've kind of I know that I needed that I've seen students going through the process it's kind of like you know that learning contract is a lot of like hey what's what's that thing going on for you that maybe <laughs> needs to be like yeah it, you're, you're touching on i think some things that are really important and you know and some I, I, there's a lot i could say about it i i think that i mean the first the first word like you're asking about what could how could the training incorporate more uh in the in this relational realm or cycle you know help help rolfers to be more or relationally sophisticated or psychologically sophisticated or understand the implications of what they're doing or could how you know how they could be what kind of responses their clients could have it's if I'm understanding you correctly, and and the, and the 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 thing that comes back to me immediately is time, because there there again, you know, and we struggle with this on the faculty. We're always trying to like jam more things in to less time, <laughs> mm-hmm. and 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 in some ways there really isn't time. You're trying to learn, unless you really change the you de-emphasize something else, and. And you know our tradition has been we're trying the, the the fundamental thing we're trying to teach people is how to do the ten series in the basic training. That's the fun. That's the fundamental thing, and you have to get through that. And that takes up most of the time. And then there's also you know we've added things into that over time, like we've added movement work into it over time because it's so important. And 
but you start adding other things into it. And then these things are in, in and of their own right. They're, they're, they're huge, vast <laughs> fields <laughs> where you could spend your whole life understanding how to work with somebody this way. So then the question becomes, how do you, what, what's important for, for someone, a rolfer at the beginning level to know and, and how to relate to. And I think we try to cover that, you know, but everybody comes in in a different place. You know, we're not really, right. we don't assume, you know, they're, they're sort of, um, you know, we don't know where they are in their personal life. We don't know where, what they're like characterologically or emotionally, or, you know, if they struggle with mental illness or things like this. And so, you know, of course, all of that affects, um, how to be a practitioner. But if I, that's just kind of like on the theoretical level, but I want to say something about personally about, about that issue, which is when I, when I finished my rolfing training, my first basic training, and I went to work and I started to try to go to work with people, I, the, the thing that was most confronting to me was that I didn't understand that I knew I had my hands on more than just structure, but I didn't know how to relate to people about it. Mm. And, and that was, um, and that made me feel really, uh, nervous in a way, you know, like I, I was, I was really cool with the, with the mechanical, the bio, sort of the biomechanical side of things. And yet I'd come from this place where the effect had been so kind of like mixed up. It was all, it was whole body. It was whole person kind of effective rolfing. That's what made me want to be a rolfer. But I didn't really have the skills to, to, to know how to handle each person as an individual, have any kind of assessment about where they were, what their capacities were, how much to, you know, how to engage with them on the relational level in a, in a, for a therapeutic for a therapeutic purpose and um just and so that led me off into kind of a a few directions that initially i studied with peter levine i was in his first somatic experiencing training and then i through that discovered the body dynamic institute in denmark and i studied for five years, I did a somatic psychotherapy program, training program with them that lasted five years, included therapy supervision. I can Pretty intensive. Greatly. And, and then I, and then I went to graduate school and did about half of a master's degree before I realized, look, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to be a therapist. Hmm. I just want to be a better rolfer. And that's when I kind of doubled down on rolfing and decided that um, and but all of that training really helped me, uh, and and in a sense, I learned something. One one key phrase that I think, you know, which is that we don't the, the psychological theories of therapy have it is um, is this this idea of uh, how the practitioner, what is the role of the practitioner for for the therapeutic benefit of the of the client. And I think that that is something where there is probably some room in our education if to, to get more, to nail that down a little bit more, to articulate it a little bit more so that you have the, um, you know, the, 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 the what, 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 the psych, what psychology calls the therapeutic use of self. So how you use yourself 
in the rolfing relationship to to help the person in in the way that you're doing you know in your in rolfing you know you're not trying to be their psychotherapist you're not trying to but you but there is a therapeutic use of self in the rolfing context that i think benefits clients and i think the more that you are deliberate can develop something that's deliberate and you practice it then i think you become you know that goes together with all the other skills that you have as a practitioner to to help your client yeah my longest practice was in new york city and i was seeing a jungian therapist for myself but as um you know i was starting i just kind of moved to new york on a whim so as my practice was building i had already developed this relationship with this jungian therapist and over time we kind of it, it was interesting because she then became kind of my soundboard when I was, I brought things to her from that was coming up in my rolfing practice about people and their kind of psychological needs. And I'm like, I need help, you know? So in a way she was kind of my mentor in helping to navigate the, the psychological things that came up with working with the bodies. And, you know, it's interesting because in the training, a lot of it's like we're working on bodies, it's the kind of the side product or a, 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 a result, but it's not what we're aiming for is, you know, they might have some kind of psychosomatic experience. And that's why I asked that question of what do you think we could add in the training that could help foster what comes up? I mean, you know, living, I live in Boulder, and so it's still very fascinating for me when I meet people and one, I have a good friend that she was like, I've always wanted to get Rolf, but she was like, I'm just not in the mood to start crying all the time. And, or, or it's the other one of like, Oh, I want to get Rolf, but it's so painful. So these, these ideas of what we do, which is true, but it's not all of it. It's like, it's, it's some of it. And some people might have this, you know, transformative experience in more of their the way they're living the world and not how they're moving in the world. My standard, my standard question back to people, they say, oh, you know, I hear rolfing is very emotional, can be a really emotional process. I say, well, you, are you a really emotional person? <laughs> you know, in your, in your day, it's not likely to make you emotional if you're not emotional. Mm -hmm. And if you are emotional, then you experience things emotionally anyway. So probably rolfing will connect to your emotions and more than for the person who, who doesn't experience themselves that way. Kind of simple, really. We, uh, we we had um, a call last week with Jan, and we had actually a similar talk going on in in the group, which is sort of like, I think someone wanted to have more of the emotional support for their clients, especially now with what's happening in the world, and not being able to be there physically. And the answer I sort of heard was really similar to what you said, which is that in the basic training, you're trying to teach the the container of of the recipe, right, and and to teach what that is. And then from there, you can learn more and apply it. And it's not that the, the psychology doesn't apply. It's just that you have, like you said, you only have time. And if you put something in, what do you have to take out? And from, for me, I, uh, I really, I remember in my, I don't know if it's in phase one or phase two, I, I, I'm, I've always been excited about where does the mind and the body meet? And 
I remember talking to some of my classmates wanting to go there and them being like, no, we only want physical. And I'm being like, no, there's clearly so much more. Um, and I remember in this, my, the, the teaching assistant was working on someone in phase two. And on the first day, I just remember looking at her and having this visceral feeling of how much anger is in this person that, and, and I remember talking to someone and no one, no one, they thought I was crazy. And on session five, when she burst and this anger came through, I remember thinking like, this is, you know, what I was seeing, but how do I, how can I work with that? And I think my understanding, and I'm the youngest out of all of us is sort of like what you, what you said, Russell, is like, you do the basic training and then you study more. And it's the annoying thing is like, you spend all this money, all this time to get this thing. And then you need to study more. But I'm not in, I'm not on faculty. I don't know another way to to do anything with that. I don't know how you can. The only other way is to make the training longer, right? You know, and we you know that's a not a new idea. But I mean, essentially, what we're talking about is something that you know could be built into like a two year course of study. It could be a master's degree kind of a thing. You know, it's like where you ha where you have enough time to explore in enough depth, all the dimensions that would, would expose you to, to more and try to incorporate that into your learning, uh, in one fell swoop, you know, so, but that's, you know, that's not where we are. Um, and I think that's why they have the continuing ed of which is you can have some people want to go down the somatic experiencing road and they can right. do that and have that as their CE and then bring right. it in. And others really don't. And while right. the three of the three of us might find it like really helpful, I find it, I find it some way more helpful than the physical others may not. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm at a point or if it's just my orientation is I, I really don't think it, it, it I like the fact that it's open, it's open-ended enough to, to um, allow each practitioner's interest to, for them to, to nurture their own interests. You know, mm -hmm. some people are just maybe, you know, sports performance oriented or pain, they're after pain reduction or, you know, um, whatever you know, some people want to take it more in a trauma direction. They can do that. You know, some people want to take it more long-term kind of characterological effects of the structure and you can do that. Um, but the, and, and each one of those things is, is kind of like its own branch off the tree, off the trunk, if you will. Well, you've done a great job with helping bringing this, the rolfing into the athletics. You, I know you worked with it's the a terrible team sports, the Seahawks. Yeah, yeah, several Seahawks. Yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, with your contribution of working with them, that definitely gave us a nice push into how rolfing can benefit high performance athletes. Yeah, it was fun to see. Part of the reason I produced some of those little videos. Um, it was a little tricky to get some, you know, it's, it's always touchy, you know, our work is, um, confidential, right? So it's, uh, it was a little bit of a, 
it took some, I had to bargain with myself, I guess is the way to say it. Maybe the way to say it best is to, to try and, you know, create a proposal where um, some of the people that I was working with asked them if they would be willing to, to be public about their experience. Um, but I, it's something that we've always chased from a PR standpoint. And, um, and I know, and, and part of the reason I went into it was because I really felt like Rolfing has something to offer, uh, performance athletes. And if you could get people who, and I know there's a lot of high performance athletes that are getting Rolfing. There's just not that many of them are being public about it. And, um, you know, if you could get them to say what their experience was, that it would be a good thing for us as a, as a whole. And, um, and I think, you know, so it was, it was fun to see with those little videos, you know, how, how widely they got shared. They really went around the world. So can, from your experience, what do you think the greatest benefit has been for working with, besides the PR part with working the, with the, the high performance athletes, what do you think their greatest gain has been? Well, mostly I've worked with professional football players. That's been, I've worked with some other professional athletes too, but my, I would, you know, I, I feel most comfortable saying, speaking about the, the football players and, um, that's American football players for our listeners overseas. Yeah, NFL. Yeah, right. Not soccer. <laughs> Although, you know, I, I try, I've been trying to get into soccer, but, um, you know, that's another story. Anyway, um, I think for them, it's, well, I, I'm thinking back to this little video that, uh, that Golden – Golden Tate made, um, he played for Seahawks. I don't know. I think he's playing with New York Giants now, maybe. Um, but he was on that team that won the Super Bowl. And, um, and I think one of the things he said was uh, maybe said, says it best was, you know, that they have a long season and getting and they get beat up every week. And then once you kind of understand the cycle, it's like, you know, they have a game, then they, they try to rest, recover, get treatment and get ready for the next week. And a lot of times you can see if you follow the season at all, who's going to win at the end of the season has to do with who has the, most best health healthiest players and so staying in the game and that was the tagline of our of our uh, of the business we formed stoles off sport works uh stay in the game that that was our tagline um because uh you know they have to be out there to be they have to be healthy to be out there and and staying healthy stay is is what you know, and he, he said something in that video where he said, you know, even though it's like the 16th week of the season, I still feel fresh. And Rolfing's been 
a part of that. It's not everything he does, but it's it's contributed. And then there was another thing where he's a wide receiver, so it talked about he talked about how he felt like his starts off the line of scrimmage were were quicker and crisper and things like that. So both the performance and the recovery and um, and th- those those things, uh, what we also called prehab. Um, it, you know, I think that those are those are some of the contributions that Rolfing has to make for athletes of at any level. But when when you've got these guys who you know are doing it professionally and they've got everything riding on it and they're speaking about it, then you know it, it's. I think it's a good recommendation for the work. Were you, were you doing were you doing ten series or were you doing more um, like spot work in between? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> let's let's say this. Mm-hmm. Like my or like uh, if I could work with them enough, mm-hmm. I would I would say that we we accomplished a ten series. That's fair enough. You know, if we work with this because because that perspective that's embedded in the ten series is my perspective. Totally. Yeah, and so like even if it's like, you know, and every time they're gonna they're gonna say what they want to have worked on, just like your clients who come to you who aren't athletic, are athletic, they're coming in with their problem, and in some ways I feel like that's a particular skill. Uh, you know, how do you still keep your offing vision, address what the person is coming in wanting help with, but yet also saying like, look, I know you're gonna be better if we also address what I see and the way to do that is to work with the goals that are embedded in the 10 series. So how, how you accomplish that, um, whether it's one, two, three, four, five, like that, you know, I think the longer you're in practice, the, the less, the less you have to take it that way. Um, you know, you, you know, it keeps you on, on the track in the beginning, but you know, once you, once you've been going a long time and you understand how it all works together, you can, you can mix it up some. Well, I guess my, that's a great answer. Uh, and my, my sort of thought was thinking more of what little I know of football players and head injuries and thinking, are you end like, are you ending all of your sessions you're doing with them? Are you ending with, with head and neck work and with, um, and sacrum work? And my, my thinking being, are they as refreshed and ready to go at the beginning of the week, partly because of, of that aspect of getting that, that sort of touch as well? It's hard to know, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't really work. I can't work without treating both ends of the spine at the end at this, you know, sometimes during, sometimes at the beginning, but definitely at the end of the session, you know, so everybody gets network, network, everybody, I finish just about every session I ever do with uh, sacral with my hand on the sacrum for one reason or another. And, um, and so um, yeah, I, I, I don't, and, and as far as, it's just hard to know what, why people get the benefit they get, you know, right. it's, it, it's, um, well, I think you kind of answered it with your, your tagline of, of meeting the holism, like in New York city, I worked with some, I worked with all types of people, but there was a, 
kind of a, a group of people I worked with were more of the, the weekend warrior athletes. So these were high driven uh, corporate people and they had their, I mean, I was part of their kind of team. They had their person that helped them work on, a lot of them were the triathlete types, but they had coaches for everything. And somehow, and I, I ended up like being called this, but I was considered like the off season coach because awesome. I, yeah. And I was like, I liked it because I got to have this dialogue with these other specialists. And, they, and there was this kind of always report of, Hey, this is, I'm working. This person needs speed. This is what I need this performance out of this body part, but it's not clearly not moving as well. What can you do? And so it was really cool to kind of be part of this. And then, whenever I do dip into, you know, watching the Super Bowl or whatever popular sport is in season, watching it, and I just purely watch it from a human performance. Me too. I know, I know nothing really about rules and things like that, but I'm like, oh, if I were to work on this person, this is, you know, so coming back to like, would you do a 10 series or not? I think the beauty, and you already you said it really well, of when you understand the principles of rolfing, you can still hold the the essence of it while doing a non-formulistic session and i think yeah. that's the greatest gift of the 10 series is that you don't have to hold someone to a 10 series to get the benefit you can really meet the right. needs by working with the principles yeah i think the thing that i try to emphasize or I have tried to emphasize with the professional athletes is this is a, this is a method that benefits multiple, multiple sessions. You, you know, your benefit increases the more that you do it. And that is something that I very consciously emphasize because, well, to the extent that I was afraid, you know, that they were looking for immediate change. Um, I, I, w I felt it was important to let them know that whatever change they might feel from a single session or in the beginning, um, you know, would be augmented by, by continuing and having a chance to work through more of the body uh, than just what we could do in one or two times. And that's easy to understand. I think once they, but you have to produce some noticeable effect, <laughs> even in the first one, you know, in order to sort of, you know, for me to stay in the game with them, <laughs> you know, it has to be impactful enough to where they can notice something and feel like it's worthwhile to continue. And I don't think it's that different from anybody that we work with. You know, I feel like it's a, it, maybe it's a little bit um, taboo to talk about it as sales, but, um, you know, I feel like I've always felt this way in my practice. Like if I can meet someone in person and then they can try a session, then they're going to feel what it's about. And, and, you know, whatever I said will be translated into their experience somehow, whatever I did. And then that, then that, then that forms the basis of, you know, them helping them to decide whether they want to continue or not. Well, as a newcomer, I mean, coming straight out of your out of training and then having to sell a, a 10 pack essentially right. is, is daunting. I know I even got really comfortable not doing the 10 series right away. Cause I was like, I just need to get people in my office. Like the marketing right. aspect of getting someone in here. Well, first you got to, I know you're complaining about your feet, but I'm going to work on your breath first. 
And I would, I would say, you know, that has to do, I, I, I completely agree. It's daunting. And, and a, a, about five years ago or so, I created an apprenticeship in my practice and I advertised for a, a recent graduate and I was more than lucky this uh, woman applied and we met and she seemed great and um she'd been working for maybe about a year was trying to get her practice going and was having her she was she was bound to be successful anyway but she came and like i don't know for her it was you know 10 series was what it was matter of fact this is what we do and she was so comfortable putting it out there um that uh i learned something about that you know like 20 some odd years into it you know i was like wow she's just she doesn't have any doubts you know and she just says it and people go okay <laughs> so you know it's like it, it, it's like our own anxieties you know and i think you know you just i mean the, you just tell people what the program is they can take it or leave it you know <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I think I, I relate a lot to what you say uh, about um, I can describe a lot of it, right? But I, I get lost in words. I think words are words are maps for other other things. That's that's what language is. And when you when you feel something, you know, for a lot of times, if I talk to people, if I just say a little too much, I lose them. But if I've never met someone and they get on the table, they come back um, because the experience there's not a, there isn't to the best of my experience, my knowledge, my offering a way to use the words to explain what is going to happen. Um, and I can, I can conceptualize it, but it still becomes a concept and not that feeling. But when the work happens, the yeah. work happens. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. Um, but there was something, there was something you sort of said, I was thinking about how you were talking with that lady being at your, your place and you being 20 years into the game and and still learning and i think that that's something really nice about you uh is that and it goes back to something we were talking about at the beginning sort of about um mastery right i think mastery is is the ability to not know everything and to to say okay i know this really well and you're giving me this how how does that fit in um and i think it's uh, I I want to say Malcolm Gladwell. I'm not sure if it's the, the 5,000 hours or the 10,000 hours um, of, you know, that thing that makes you a master. Um, I don't know, it, 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 I'll let you sort of take it from there if you want. I'm kind of feeding off the top of my head into that, into what you were saying earlier, but that's how it all is kind of fitting into my, my brain right now. Yeah. I, I, um is there a question there i don't know i don't know i mean sometimes when um, i email nikki i have to end up i have to end it saying uh, like end of thoughts so she knows where i'm kind it's of all good i think it's a great top i think it's a great topic and i i mean i was thinking one of the things i was thinking as you were talking is like i think in some ways like um it's kind of like where what your drive is you know what are you trying what you know like for me i just want to be the, i just want to be the best rolfer i can be hmm. and um and i i don't I, I i at this point well there's so many so many thoughts going around in my head you know like i remember when i 
you know, when I took my advanced uh, training in rolfing, the the statement that the advanced teachers were putting out at that time was that this that the advanced training is designed to take you to 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 to, to bring you to a place where uh, the work starts to become your teacher. Um, so it's it's kind of implicit in that statement is the the idea that this kind of marks the the the, for, the formal end of your rolfing training but that what what but you but you the idea that you will have what it what you need to know what you need to learn by who comes comes into your practice you know that and i don't think it's any different in the beginning but in the beginning you're sort of you're focused on the fundamentals. It's like if you were a musician, you were like learning your scales, you're learning music theory, you're learning, you know, all the things that it takes to become proficient. And and at some point you you are proficient and you're trying to still get better. And I feel like, you know, that's where that's that's how I sort of see myself. It's like I just I just always want to get better um at what I'm doing. And um and I think that there's enough the 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 space of the work is big enough to kind of probably never completely feel like there isn't anything left to learn, you know. Like you're always it's always going to be if you're staying in touch with it, you know. It's like there there's always going to be more learning, um, and but I think the increments get smaller. You know, like the, the 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 ahas are not as they don't create as big a splash as maybe they once did or something. You know, um, I'm going to ask a personal question. You don't have to answer. It's just sort of where I'm what I'm wondering is um, the sense to always want to be better. I I think I mean I'm I'm there as well, um, and I think that's great. Are you also comfortable? with as good as you are right now? Well, that's a good question. I, I'm more comfortable than I've ever been with who I am right now. I mean, you know, professionally, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good space. I feel, I feel confident in my work and that's a great feeling. Mm, and, I, and, awesome. and, and it, and it, it's, you know, it's like, I, you know, it took a long time to get to confidence, I think, mm -hmm. you know, to where, you know, like I said earlier, like, you don't really know what's going to happen for each person, but you, you've basically been around, you kind of know the kinds of things that are going to happen when you work with someone, you know, you, and you can help them know what to expect, you know, not, not that you're sort of defining what their experience is going to be in any way, but you just, and, and that's a, that's a great, you know, that, that's a nice feeling to have when you're, doing something you know um so i hopefully i'm answering your question yeah yeah I mean, more so but i'm all i'm also kind of restless you know i get restless with myself you know and it's like i i think i'm inherently kind of competitive um you know not just with others but like with myself and not in a bad way it's not like i want to you know it's not like i want to beat you you know or be the best all the time you know the only one or that kind of thing it's more of like a a, a drive toward um, toward uh, continuous improvement, 
that I Very have good. kind of like in my life and my orientation towards life. Russell, I'm curious, would you be able to name or identify any of those steps to growth or to confidence along your journey? Because we were talking um, maybe offline or a little bit before when you were talking about working with the, the Seahawks or the high level athletes that there was kind of this maybe place of like, well, am I at that level where they are professionally to be working with them? And clearly you were or are because they kept on coming back and you were getting great results. But I think that something would be great to, to share for other listeners, whether they're rolfers or practitioners or just people in their life to be able to recognize where we can grow or what benchmarks that are identified with growth? It's a really good question. And it's something I'm really interested in. I'm interested in the topic of what, what are the, what are the constituent parts of, uh, you know, the trajectory this is of learning and, becoming proficient in mastering the art, if you will. It's really, it's something that I, you know, I don't know that I can define it for everyone. I think that there are certain things concisely, I could say, in the beginning, it's practice and, and repetition. It's numbers, it's repetitions. It's like, you, you know, it's like, if you don't get the repetition, like, for example, if you just to just to pull one example, like if you don't practice the 10 series um, or, you know, then you don't really know what the 10 series can do. You don't really you, you can't you won't come up against um, the limitations of it. You won't come up against your limitations within it. And and so in the beginning, it's kind of like a form. And, and the old the old recommendations were like, yeah, don't study anything else. Don't go out there. And, you know, and like I, I didn't personally follow that, but I see the wisdom of it. I couldn't follow it because I didn't have the tools to just hang to stay in the in the in the box, you know, with just rolfing. I didn't have the, all the tools I needed. So I went out and got some tools, brought them back in. And then I was like, OK, I'm more comfortable in the box now um, and I can work on on the rolfing. And then. And then like by the time it took me, because I was doing all those other things, it took me eight years to go do my advanced training. So I went and did my advanced training. And when I went in there, I thought, eh, what's this advanced training? Um, it's not gonna really, you know, I think I've kind of explored where the limit is. I know where the limit is, you know? And I went in my advanced training and I was like, holy shit, um, the limit isn't where I think it thought it was. And, and it sort of, pointed the way for me and I and I seriously in all honesty say for the next 10 or 11 years I felt like I was running off of and I, and to some extent I still am running off of the 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 orientation of that presentation that I got in my advanced training and and then it's just that I studied with Michael Salison and so at that point in time, it was just like, 
you know, okay, well, I'm going to have, it's going to take a long time because there's a lot, there's a lot of the body here. I have to get better at a lot of different things and, and they're not all the same, you know? And then if you include into that, you know, I think the legitimate things that, that belong, that hang on, on this is, um, you know, some orient, like we've spoken about some orientation to how you use yourself, uh, relationally, um, also, the other things that hang on to this are, are some uh, familiarity and proficiency in, in, in sort of the cranial, uh, visceral, and, and now I think you can add to that the nerve, uh, peripheral nerve, if you want, uh, manipulations. Um, those things, I think, belong squarely within the domain of Rolfing. And, um, and then it's just, you know, like continuing to to use these things, you know, to figure out when you need to do what. And just really, you know, another thing I've thought and said a number of times is it, you know, becoming a good rolfer favors people who, who can kind of problem solve on their own. Because we don't have a lot of, we have now more than ever with Facebook and everything, this kind of collegial, you know, ability to, to consult with each other. Um, but for, you know, years, everybody was just kind of figuring it out by themselves. And I still think at the end of the day, you, you do have to do that. You have to figure out, you know, how, how you're doing it because it's just you and your client in the room, you know. So, you know, I think it's, I don't know if I'm answering your question that well, but I, I think that it's, it's, it's staying with it and, and all the way and, 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 and not, you know, not bleeding it out. <laughs> into something else that, you know, isn't really about it. Um, or if you do, you know, how do you bring it back? So the that, confidence, well, yeah, I was just wondering if there is anything in particular, but it just sounds like, especially what you're sharing with your experience of going to advanced training, feeling like you're pretty, like, what are you gonna learn? You've spent a lot of time learning that really the growth does come with the inquiry or staying open to there's always something more to learn. There's always, we're always going to have those pockets within our, if you're desiring to, to be the best and to keep on excelling, then there also has to be that knowing, knowing that you are always going to be learning. Right. There's you're, there's there's you may know a ton and be able to teach it, but then there's always you're always will be the student. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, the thing is like, but also there's like this kind of discernment. You know, like, do I want to learn that? You know, is that really? Do I need to learn that? Um, yeah. I, I remember year I mean, before I was even doing body work. My background was in technology, and I was very interested in a lot of different things, and I had hobbies, and one of my one of my bosses basically said, like, pick a path, like pick one. You're doing all these different things, like pick one and, and go with it. And it's not that I think actually the answer is in between sort of that, but it, it, it is very sure. much. It is very much that. You, the, and especially every year, new things come out. It's like, oh, I could do this training and I could do this training and they're all going to be great. They're all going to be wonderful. You're going to learn something. Even I would say, even trainings that you absolutely hate and you'll never do, you learn something from. You know, so you'll learn something through through everything. But 
is that where your is that where your is, is that what best serves you and your attention and and your work and sort of how do you narrow how do you narrow it down because like you were saying Nikki I think of that the quote that's often attributed to Einstein I don't know if it really was him but the more you know the more you don't know right so we keep going down and the path keeps open bigger and bigger um, and discernment is as a yogi discernment is sort of part of my training is part of yoga is discernment viveka viveka so it is becoming about that of knowing which which path to go which paths to plural instead of like you know which three instead of which five um yeah yeah i think that's wise uh, you know there's only so many things you can you can really master in a lifetime. I think you know it's hard. We're, we're, our 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 world is so complex now, especially. But um, I think that's one of the reasons that I that I recommitted to to rolfing. You know, is that I really I didn't want to have the relate. I didn't want to have the relationship that a psychotherapist had. that wasn't the relationship I wanted to have for my work with people and I also realized that there's a whole that like to really to not just be a dabbler you know you have to really commit to that in the same way that, that in order to be a, a, a you know an excellent rolfing practitioner you have to commit to that so um, I think that that was that helped me to make my decision. Like I, I was trying to like, I thought, oh, I can just, I can marry these things. I can blend them together and come out with something maybe better than, than either one on its own. And, um, and I, I, I don't know, I don't know if I could have, or if I couldn't have, but I realized that that wasn't, you know, where, where I, you know, I, I'm guessing I couldn't have, you know, and that, that's out of respect for 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 the you know the 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 distinct fields that exist. I think it's a common from talking to people. I mean, we are all existing within our own realities. So everything that we know is what makes up our reality. And we see something, and and we we learn something, and we think, of course, this makes more sense because I know it, and it's existing within my field. So why why? wouldn't it go in? And, and there is that, I think that sense that we all think we can do it better in some way. I mean, not we all, but there's a part of that. Um, I don't know if we really, if we really can. Um, and I think also, like I said before, like just accepting, accepting the work and, and, and doing it. Yeah. But I think that that's a, what you're describing is a, is a phenomena that I think goes with a certain stage of life too. Mm you know, it's like, it's a, it's a creative impulse and, um, you know, to try and make something better. Mm. You know, when I was, when I was getting interested in somatic psychology, I was like completely convinced that like Rolfing had left this on the, on the, on the curb, you know, miles back, you know, or never picked it up in the first place, you know, and I thought, this is it, this is the shit right here, you know, and, well, you're kind of way kind of speaking to what what Ida was hoping, right? Yeah, she maybe, maybe wanting saw she in her lifetime really could like get a hold of the the structural physical part, but then right. there is that whole element of the the psychosomatic where 
I agree that what the beauty of rolfing is that you can, it's really, it's brilliant in its own, but it can be so broad that people can kind of take it and bring it into their, their own creative flavor. I still feel that it would, and of course it could always could be a continued education. I just, I think it would be enrich the training and just kind of hold that point of differentiation for the Rolf Institute. If we had a little bit of the somatic psychology component ingrained. I think it could be very orienting, you know, it could help people so. orient to what, even if you don't just to know about it a little bit, even if you don't, you know, are, even if you're not learning skills per se, I think it can be orienting. Well, and you said it in the very beginning, which I, I resonate greatly with is that, you know, when you're, when you're holding and touching, you're, you're touching way more than their structure. And, and we kind of, I think we know that in the training, but we have so much support of a like, like-minded people, other, other students. And then right. people who are coming to the clinic are often curious and just, you know, we, we have that container and that support. And again, from being in the teaching role and keeping in touch with a lot of the students that have come through, and I think maybe the nature of my personality, I would get calls and people are like, Nikki, what, what is this? <laughs> it's like, I can, I can tell you a little bit about it, but that's like, that's a whole nother modality that, you know, either you gotta go train or be uncomfortable and get comfortable with it, managing it to your best ability or be like, Hey, this is, and I've, I actually had to do that to two clients to be like, this is something way beyond my scope. I, I hear some great psychotherapists. I knew more Jungian at the time. I was like, give them the call. Yeah. That's a great, isn't that a great feeling to be able to, <laughs> yeah, to tell is. somebody that it's not, you know, that it's not in your, not, a, not in your wheelhouse. I mean, hmm. Yeah, and a little bit it was because I I wasn't I I wasn't prepared. I, I was outside outside of my scope, and I was uncomfortable. It felt a lot for me to take on, and um and I just knew that my that was the threshold of my um where I could hold a container. I'm a crier. I could easily like dab dab into empathy and be like, oh, I feel that too. <laughs> So I have to hold that edge pretty, pretty strongly with my work, but, um, yeah, but I mean, maybe I'm speaking to my own personal edge that I think that would have been awesome to have early, <laughs> early on in the training. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. I, 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 I concur. Yeah. Um, what I'd say is I, I, I think, you know, fortunately or unfortunately we could, we could talk for, for ages cause you're so easy to talk to and, um, uh, but we do also want to respect your time, and we are we are um, we do also want to respect the time of people listening. And once the edit, you comes bet. Out. Yeah, I hope I, there, I hope you can cut out whatever you need to. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Just going on and on. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time. Oh, you're welcome. And I've I got a lot of time these days. Anyway, we'll talk to you later. We'll talk okay. later. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Russell at rolfingworks.com and stozoffsportworks.com. 
please feel free to leave us positive reviews on Apple Podcasts or other podcast aggregators. And please share us with people you feel may be of interest. We're doing this for all of you out there and hope we're making a difference in your worlds. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you in our next conversation at Touching into Presence. Bye-bye.